All right, yes, we have a fantastic conversation this morning, Kabbalah and Coffee, July 25th, 2021, and the topic is, once again, divine justice. So I'm going to start with a story. The story goes that there was once a man, a very righteous, pious man, a rabbi who was a scholar and a sage and a bit of a mystic also, who was struggling with the concept of divine justice, trying to understand why it is that sometimes bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people. Right? This is a theme that we've been exploring the last, the last little bit. How to understand divine justice, how to understand why it is that things don't always seem to work out the way we think they should work out. You know, if we do something good, should be rewarded. Something bad, should be punished. So why is it that sometimes it seems like the lines are crossed? So this rabbi was wondering this, and it bothered him a lot. This is the way the story goes. He was such a righteous person. He was such a righteous fellow that um, when he would study Torah at night, sometimes Elijah the prophet would appear to him. You know Elijah the prophet? Yeah, Elijah, the great, the great prophet who's always makes cameos. He's like the one guy who makes the cameo by the bris milah, by the circumcision, by the Passover seders. So he would appear to him, Elijah would appear to this rabbi from time to time in his evening or his nighttime Torah study. And so the story goes, hey. and so the story goes that, um, that one night he's studying Torah with him, with Elijah. And he says to Elijah, you know, I'm struggling with this question. I'm struggling with this problem. How, do we, how can we make sense of the fact that divine justice doesn't seem to be so just? Why is it that bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people? And Elijah says, you know what? Come with me. Tomorrow morning, you and I are going to go out into the world and I'm going to show you what's going on in the world, how to understand divine justice. The man is blown away. He says, That's, that would be amazing. If I could get a glimpse, get an insight into divine justice, that would be just the best thing. He says, sure, not a problem. I'm happy to take you around on my, on my travels. So Elijah says to this, to this rabbi, but one thing, you have to agree to this one thing, one condition. The condition is that you ask no questions. Okay? The condition is that no, no matter where we go, what we do, what you see, how you feel, you're not going to ask any questions. And the man agrees, the rabbi agrees. So Elijah and the rabbi set out in the morning. And the rabbi before they, sorry, Elijah, before they set out, says to the man, because Elijah, you know, can be manifested in a human body. Do we know this? Yes? Now you know. Okay, well, now you know. So sometimes Elijah can be manifested in a human body. And so Elijah becomes manifested in a human body. And he tells this, the rabbi, we're going to go out today, this morning, dressed as beggars. Dressed in, in, in like just, you know, very um, ra ragged, ragged, ragged clothing, right? Sackcloth, Iraq, whatever, like very, um, you know, beat up clothing. And we are going to go around today. But remember the condition from last night, no questions. Sure, no questions. They go out, and they start walking by foot. And they end up by a very, very, very simple hut. Like a super dilapidated, very basic hut. They knock on the door, and they're dressed, again, they're dressed like beggars. 
And a man opens up the door. How can I help you? They say, we're beggars. You know, we're looking for a place to stay, some food to eat. The man, with a big smile, welcomes them in. They walk into the house. And what does the house look like? What does this hut look like? It's completely broken down, completely dilapidated. There is, uh, there's the, a man and his wife, and they have nothing. They have nothing. And as they begin conversations, they find out that literally this couple is so impoverished, they have, they have nothing. They have one cow that, that they milk, and they take the milk to the next town over, and they sell the milk, and they get a little bit of money, and the rest of the milk they drink for themselves, and that's how they live. They have milk to drink, they have a little bit of money from selling milk, and that's it. But you wouldn't know it because they were, they were happy people. They, they weren't like all gloom. They weren't gloomy and depressed. They were happy people, content with what little they had. And that was it. So, um, you know, the, the rabbi's feeling kind of bad. Now they're imposing on this couple, but, you know, he can't ask any questions. He can't back out now. That was the condition with Elijah. Remember, Elijah said, if you want to come along with me and see divine justice, no questions. So he's going along with it. And what happens next is that the couple, they serve, they serve the, the, the beggars, they serve the rabbi and Elijah, they serve them a little bit of dry bread, like a little small piece of dry bread, and some milk from the cow in a cracked bowl. Probably not cracked enough that it goes through, but like, you know, not. And they eat and drink a little bit. They go to sleep. Middle of the night, the rabbi notices that Elijah is getting out of bed. Oh, by the way, there were no beds. They were lying down on straw on the floor. Middle of the night, the rabbi notices that Elijah, his, um, his I don't know, partner in crime over here, partner in, in research, has gotten up from his bed, from his straw mat. And he sees him heading out to the barn where the cow is. He's very curious, but remember, you can't, you can't ask any questions. So he kind of also gets up and sees the kind of thing, what is going on? Elijah heads to the bar, it heads, not to the bar, to the barn, and with a burlap sack. And the man is a bit suspicious, the rabbi is a bit suspicious, but he decides he's not going to look more, he's not going to ask more, he's not going to ask because he's not allowed to ask. He goes back to, to his little um, uh, bed of straw, and he lies back down, at some point later, Elijah comes also back to his straw mat, and they both fall asleep. The next morning, they're, they're awakened by a loud shriek, by a scream. What's the scream? The wife is screaming. And what she's screaming? The cow is dead. The cow is dead. Some, somehow, in the middle of the night, the cow died. And she is devastated because that's their only source of livelihood. That's their only source of Food and income, whatever meager it was, however meager it was, that was their source. And now they have nothing. And she's sobbing, bitter tears, and the rabbi thinks Elijah had something to do with this. He was the one who went to the barn in the middle of the night. There's something, something suspicious here. But he can't ask anything. He can't say anything. That was the deal. You hang out with Elijah, no questions. That's the way it works. All right, so amidst all the chaos, the beggars say goodbye, and they head, head off on their way. 
And the man is like, the rabbi is, is just a, a little bit frustrated here, just very, very perturbed by the situation. But he doesn't ask any questions. Meanwhile, they're traveling. They have no food. They have no provisions because they couldn't get any milk from where they stayed because the cow was dead. Remember that? That little detail? The cow is dead. They walk. They continued walking. They walked the whole day almost. And toward the evening, they arrive at a, big, a bigger town. Bigger town, they head straight for a beautiful house. This house is grand, magnificent. Like the polar opposite of the dilapidated hut where they just were is this big house. And there's a hustle and bustle around the house. It's not just a beautiful house, but there's a lot of action. People coming in, people coming out. Deliveries coming in and coming out, the whole thing. And they walk up to the door. And they see people running in and out. And, this, and, and Elijah says, uh, what's going on? Or sorry, they're, they're, they're told, um, they're asked by some of the attendants of the house, like, what do you want? We want to speak to the owner of the house. He's way too busy. His daughter just got engaged. There's an engagement party tonight. The caterer is coming in with the food. Food is coming in. Stuff, supplies, you know, decor, the whole deal. Place is getting set up. And in general, the, the owner of the house, he's not too keen on beggars knock, you know, knocking on the door and, and hitting them up for stuff. So you, you probably should go elsewhere. Well, Elijah doesn't take no for an answer. And he says, I'm still going to try. We're going to knock on the door. And that's it. Well, they knock on the door. The man comes to the door. And they tell him what's going on. They want a place to stay. They want something to eat. And he says, are you kidding me? I got this party tonight. Find something else. Go, to, go get a job. He sends them away. Okay. They say, no, we have nowhere else to go. We need to come here. I'm sure you have something for us. Very, super persistent is Elijah. And ultimately, the guy says, okay, fine. Go to the stables and, you know, where I keep the horses. And I'm sure you'll find someplace to lie down over there. And that's it. Just, uh, you know, just stay out of the way. Go over there. Okay. So they buy the stables. And uh, they have a, once again, straw. Apparently, that's, that was their thing for this trip. They have some straw to lie down on. It's toward the evening. And, of course, they're not invited to the party because the man made it very clear that they're not invited to the party. But at least they have a place to rest. And maybe they had some provisions that were kind of allocated to them somewhere along the way. And that's where they were. Okay. As the night continues, it's just them alone. There's a party going on in the main house. They're in this, like, barn house thing, barn area, barn house. That's what we call it, a barn house, yes, a barn. Anyway, huh? Yeah. Barn house, there you go. It has the word house in it also. Okay, so they're there, and um, the man notices the rabbi. I keep on saying the man. Well, the, the, the guy other than Elijah, the rabbi, notices Elijah kind of examining the wall of this barn, the interior wall. And the, man, the rabbi is very curious, like, what's Elijah up to now, this time? So he's examining the interior of the wall, and he's, he notices that the wall has a hole in it. So he says to the rabbi, Elijah says to the rabbi, he's like, look, the wall has a hole in it. Let's fix it for him. <laughs> fix this guy. Fix the rich guy's barn wall because he doesn't have enough money or people to fix it. Right? That's what we need to do tonight. After this guy completely just throws us into the barn, we should now fix his wall. Right? That's like the next logical step. Meshuggah. Nonetheless, can't ask any questions. That was the rule. That was the deal. So he doesn't ask any questions. And there it is that Elijah is gathering tools from the barn and somehow fixing the wall. The rabbi is just beyond, beyond. When it comes to the poor couple that has nothing, Elijah somehow goes to the barn. It goes outside to the field, wherever it was, and the cow ends up dead. And now in the rich person's house, who does, and, and they were hospitable to them, and the rich person's house, the rich person who's not hospitable to them, right? they're going and doing a favor to fix his wall. Doesn't make sense. 
Anyway, the night passes. The next morning, they head off on their way. They head back home. At this point, Elijah turns to the man and says, well done, to the rabbi. He says, well done. Well done for not asking any questions. I'm sure you had a lot of questions. I'm sure you were like really curious and really upset at certain points in this story. And the, man, and the rabbi says, yes, that is correct. And Elijah says, let me tell you what happened. When we were at the, we went to the impoverished couple's house. Hut, because I knew that the angel of death was going to be knocking on the door that night. Coming for the couple. Or at least for one of them. And so we were there and I intervened and intercepted the angel of death. And directed the angel of death away from the couple toward, instead, the cow. And that is why the cow died. But the good news is, there's another cow, a young cow, that got lost and, and was wandering. And on the way, as we left, was on the way, headed straight to that couple. And not only is there a replacement cow headed on the way to that couple, but this cow will, will give them more milk and whatever, more blessings, and they're ultimately going to become more, you know, I don't know, wealthy, but more established on their feet financially. And also, they're going to be blessed with a child, which is their greatest wish. And as for the rich man and the wall that we fixed, well, it turns out that one of the previous owners had left a purse of gold coins in the wall. And at some point, the rich man was going to notice that there was a hole in the wall. And because he's such a miser, he would have fixed it himself. And when he fixed it, he would have seen the purse of coins. And then he would have gotten more rich. So instead of him getting the additional wealth, I decided to fix the wall to make sure he didn't find the money. That's the story that's told. There's an addendum to the story. There's a postscript to the story, which is not relevant for right now. But the reason why I share this story is because oftentimes we see things, we hear things, and we say to ourselves, where's the justice? Why did something bad happen to someone so good? Or why, conversely, did something good happen to someone who's so bad? And we make these, we make these accusations right, against heaven, so to speak. We have these claims against God because we've seen a, a certain picture and things seem a certain way. The story opens us up to the truth, to the fact that not, what, not all that what we see is what there is. That our perception of reality is not necessarily the only perception. We don't know what happens before, necessarily what happens before and after. We don't have the full picture. So when it seems like something terrible is happening, again, this is not something where we're supposed to look at this for someone else, but rather for ourselves. When something not good is happening, we need to remember that we don't always have the full picture. Conversely, when something good is happening to someone who we don't think, who perhaps objectively does not deserve the good to be happening. Again, number one, how do we know good and bad? Number two, we don't know the end of the story and how things come about and what blessing could have come to that person otherwise had this not happened, like the story of the treasure in the wall. So, this is one way of addressing the question of why do good things happen to bad people and why do bad things happen to good people, the question of theodicy, as I mentioned last, uh, two weeks ago. But there's another method in which we explore this topic, and that is the method 
that we have in our text, which is overcoming folly. Our text. And the premise of this text is not to say that who knows what's good or what's not good and who knows what the end of the story is, but rather to say that sometimes the wicked can prosper simply because they're accessing a flow of blessing outside the system. Let's explore what the system is and what's outside the system. So Kabbalah explains that there is a system of divine blessing, a system of divine beneficence, beneficence, where we're in the divine energy flows from above to below and hits certain destinations based on what we'll, what we'll see today, based on the energy of Chachma. Now, what's Chachma? I think probably everybody here is familiar with Chachma. Chachma means wisdom. We have wisdom. We have Chachma in our soul. But the, the wisdom in our soul stems from divine Chachma, divine wisdom, the wisdom, divine wisdom of the universe. Kabbalah teaches that God employs His Chachma, divine cosmic wisdom, to allocate the blessings logically, based on justice. Who deserves this? Who doesn't deserve that? Etc. We're going to come to this language today, hopefully in, in our text, the Wheel of Fortune. Right? Not the not the TV show Wheel of Fortune. Who was that? Pat Sajak? Is he still doing that? Yes? Yes? No Wheel of Fortune fans? I don't, I don't think it was Pat Sajak. I'm pretty, yeah. I th yeah. It was, at least. I don't Definitely know. was Pat Sajak. Huh? Vanna White? Vanna White was yeah, but Pat Sajak was the, was the dude. Everyone sounds smart when they have all the answers, right? It's so interesting. Alex Trebek. He passed away, right? Yeah, he did. Yeah. There's a song called The Wheel of Fortune also. Oh, nice. Probably before your time. Go spin Possibly. Yeah. So let's talk about The Wheel of Fortune. So it's not just a song. It's not just a game show. It's also a Kabbalistic idea about life itself. You know, Chesed and Gvura. Right? Chesed and Gvura. Chesed is kindness. We're talking about like the sphere of energies. But not the way they exist within us personality-wise, but the way they exist in the universe. So chesed in the universe is divine kindness, which is blessing. And gavura is divine severity, divine harshness, which is harsh. So chesed and gavura we talk about in, in our personality as being like an open hand or a closed hand. Chesed is giving, gavura is withholding, right? Chesed is open, gavura is closed. So the same thing is true on a cosmic level. Chesed is divine openness and giving, so it's the blessings that flow, like the open pipe of blessing that flows down to us. And Gavura is where the spigot, spigot, yeah, turns off, closes, right? It's opening up, opening up the spigot and the, and the flow of blessing flows or closing it and the flow stops. Chesed is open blessings. Gavura is a withholding of the blessings. And that's likened to a wheel of fortune. When it turns to the right, the blessings flow. I picture like a big steering wheel on a ship, right? When the wheel turns to the right, that's the language of Kabbalah. When it turns to the right, the right side is chesed, right? So it turns to the right, so the blessings flow in a positive way, in a beautiful way. When the wheel turns to the left, the blessings are withheld. Or, God forbid, negativity flows. Gavura, it's the gavura flow. 
by the way, I should mention parenthetically, the way it exists within the human condition, so chesed and gvura are both healthy. Like you need chesed and you need gvura. Gvura is not necessarily a negative thing. But when it comes to divine, the divine flow from above, so chesed represents the blessings that we know as blessings, and gvura represents that which seems like the opposite of blessings in our lives. So getting back to this, to, to, our, to, to the wheel of fortune. So what determines whether the wheel is going to turn to the right or the wheel is going to turn to the left? So Kabbalah says that is up to chachma, divine wisdom, divine intelligence. And that is commensurate, that's based on our actions and our deeds. So when we do good, when we are you know, hitting all of our spiritual cylinders, so to speak, when we are where we need to be spiritually, when we're attuned to our mission in life, when we're studying Torah, doing mitzvot, making the world a better place, right, fulfilling our obligations, so then the Chachma, divine wisdom, says, turn the wheel to the right. And when it's the opposite, when we're not doing what we need to be doing, then the divine wisdom might say, God forbid, turn it to the left, and that's when the blessings slow down. Okay, all of that sounds interesting. But how does that explain why bad things happen to good people and how good things, or, and the focus of today will be on why good things happen to bad people. If divine wisdom is what's controlling the wheel of fortune, so somebody is doing something bad, right? So the wheel should turn to the left and stop the blessings going to that person. So why is it that the person seems to be so successful? And again, based on the story that I told before, we could chalk it up to, who knows? Maybe the blessing is really a curse. Maybe the blessing of fixing the wall is holding back a blessing of finding a treasure. So maybe it's bad and it's not good and we just don't have the right tools to define it. And that's true. That is correct also. But we're going to take a bit of a different approach here. And we've taken a different approach already in our conversations. And let me explain the approach that we're taking. There's a system, and the system is the wheel of fortune guided by divine wisdom. In other words, chesed or gvura, divine chesed or gvura, divine blessing or the opposite, guided by divine wisdom that's based on our actions. But then there's an, that's the system. But, but then there's operating, there's the, the, the ability to operate or to access the flow outside the system. And there's two points to access the blessings outside the system. So again, within the system, good is good, bad is bad. But there are two places, two access points that bypass the system. Number one, when, the, when the, the divine light and energy is diluted so much that it's already passed the system. Or in the source of the blessings that precedes the system. Okay, so if you want to picture this spatially, which is not correct, but it's, been, but it's helpful for us. If you want to picture this spatially, so imagine the source, the divine source of blessings, which is like this massive, think of this like warehouse or this huge, I don't know, whatever you want to picture, this massive area of, of, of the energy of the light, divine light. And then you have where the light starts flowing into this system. And the system you can picture like a... Um, What's the word I'm looking for? Like, um, you know, when you manufacture something, what does it go on? A assembly line. assembly line or whatever. It's like, now it's like in a pipeline. Now it's in a, it's in a, right? So, or even like, um, like a flow, you know, when you have these a conceptual, like workflow where you have like, okay, yes or no. And it, it branches off. You know what I'm talking about? Decision tree. Yeah, decision tree or whatever, something like that, you know. 
So there's the way it exists conceptually before it enters the system, and then it enters the system, and then once it's in the system, so then it goes this way or that way, depending on the checkpoints. Questions, this, that, and, and, and Chachma, divine wisdom, allocates this way, that way, this way, that way. Okay. And then there's a point after the system is done where the energy is spit out from at the end, at, at the end of the whole system, right? Where the divine light, the divine energy is so diluted, is so reduced that once again it's now available. So, or, or now it's out of the system. So there's pre system, post system, and then the system itself. Are you with me so far? So three dimensions. So there's the system. But then there's before and after the system. And the point here is that klipa, that the negative forces in the universe, can collect energy from one of those two alternative spaces other than the system. Because in the system, it's locked down. In the system, divine chachma decides and, and allocates based on virtue. So good is good, and, and the opposite is the opposite, and that's it in the system. But you can bypass the system one of two ways. Either getting the energy once it's done with the system in a very diluted way, or so you can hijack it once it's come through the system. It can be hijacked. Or you can hijack it before it hits the system altogether. Let me check in. Does this make sense? Yes. Question. Yeah. Is the pre-system the Ensof? Mm -hmm. That's the, that's the Makif, Ensof, the okay. transcendent, the infinite. Right. Susan asked, "Is the pre-system the Ensof?" Yes. It's well, you could call it Ensof. You could call it Makif. It's basically the the transcendent source, pre-system, pre. And remember, the system is essentially where things enter the symptom state, where things, where the light begins getting contracted, and it gets contracted and shaped and, and, and allocated based on divine chachma, based on this sort of, this cheshbin, this, this um, calculation of where it should go, where it shouldn't go. But there's a way to get it. So, you know, I used this example some weeks ago, I think like maybe several weeks ago, the example of um, uh, stealing merchandise, right? So you can steal it, the Kabbalah of theft. So you can, you can get something, theoretically, from the original like manufacturer, right? From the source. Or you can get it once it's hit the retail outlet, right? You can get it from you know, the loading dock back on it you know, from a truck over there. Does that make sense? Like once it's on the truck, it's, you know, it's accounted for. But before it hits the truck, or after it gets off the truck, then it's available. I don't know if this is a good example. Haven't tried it myself, but nonetheless, this is the way that it seems to be, that it, it, it could be accessible. Right? Gray, what do they call it? Gray market? Gray merchandise? Yeah. It's not counterfeit. It's not black market. It's not black market. Right? It's gray. Yeah? Or maybe that's not gray. I don't know. Who knows? I don't know. I, we got to look this up. Yeah. What's gray merchandise? Bill, I'm almost going too technical with this because even with like modern supply chains, 
each part of the supply chain of the track. So probably more like a free barn example would be correct. I'm thinking like, I guess, because if you steal something from a loading dock, you're still engaged in the black market. Still, the theft items. Right. I've never heard. There's definitely gray markets. All right, Matt, we're, we're trying to figure out here what's, what's black market, what's gray market. I don't know. But the point is like this, that I think, listen, let's, I'm going to give a scenario. It doesn't have to be true in real life, right? Because this, like, we're all friends here. So I'm going to give a, a, a scenario. I'm going to make it sound like super plausible, and we'll all go along with it. That's the way, that's the, way the analogies work here on Kabbalah and Coffee, right? For sure. So here, here's what it is. So imagine something's made, you know, I heard this recently, that when you take um, an idea that you want manufactured, like a product idea that you want manufactured overseas, let's say in China. So oftentimes, you work with the Chinese government. And you'll tell them, the last, so what do you want to make? Give us your design plans. And then they, they set you up with one of their, let's say they have 20 different um, manufacturers. So they'll set you up with you know, one of those 20, and they get a cut of the contract and everything. But what they also do, if it's a good product, is what do they do? Huh? Well, they just tell the plant to make you want 10 million, your order is 10 million, no problem. They'll make 20 million. The government will tell them to make 20 million. And 10 million will end up on Alibaba or whatever, one of these other websites, right? They'll be sold as, you know, rebranded and whatever. That's just the way it works, right? So that's my example of before it hits the system, right? You can go to the source and just, you can just hijack it from the source. Once it's in the pipeline, so there's tracking and there's, you know, there's scan, you scan it, it's boxed up, so you scan it and it's going through this place and that place on a boat, on a train, on a, on a truck to a, fine. And then it gets to the final destination and then it gets unpacked and, it's put, and, it then, and then it's once again vulnerable. Once again, it's vulnerable. Once it's like out of the system of tracking, it's once again vulnerable to, you know, t taking it uh, in a way that is not, not correct. So these are the, t and again, that's my example, whether it's accurate or not, who knows, but it is what it is. Um, these are, so this is my very rough example of what we're talking about mystically, and that is that the, the energy, the divine blessing, comes down in a logical way, in a rational way, commensurate to our actions, so good begets good, and the opposite begets the opposite, and that's the way it is with the divine wheel of fortune, right? The chachma, divine wisdom, allocates to the right side, to the left side, based on our actions. So then how do the wicked prosper? If it's bad, then it should be bad. So what's going on? So Kabbalah, is gonna, so Kabbalah teaches us either you're, they're accessing the flow of blessing once it's done with the system and now it's, it's flowing into the world so it can be stolen that way or accessing it before it got into the system. What's the difference? After the system, it's diluted, so whatever you get is very diluted. Now, this doesn't work in the merchandise thing because it's this, it might be the same widget in the source or off the truck, fine. But in, in Kabbalistically, when, it, when it's through the system, when it's diluted through the system, so what you're accessing is only like, yeah, it's, you got something, but it's, it's diluted. It's already post so many layers of symptom. But if the negative forces access the, the blessing from the source before the system, then it's a much more grand form of the blessing. It's a, it's a much more potent form of blessing. All right, does this make sense? Any sense? Some sense? Okay, let me check in with my online crew. Um, questions or comments? Tony, all good? Good to see you. All right, awesome. Good, all right.
Remember, everybody joining us on Zoom, jump in with questions, comments. Feel free to unmute yourself and jump right in. Okay, let's, um, oh, you got a copy? Okay, perfect. I'm going to pull up this text. We're about to start inside. There's so much to cover today, so much inside to learn. Um, it's really, it's really um, powerful stuff that we're going to study. Okay, um, let's get this PDF going. Okay, let me find the right, a good place to start here. Do, 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 do. Okay, we're going to start on page 132, where it says, sustaining even idolaters. Okay, and I'm going to pull this up on the Zoom. I'm going to share this, my screen. Okay. Um, you guys can see that online, making sure that, uh, yeah? That's good. Thumbs up if you can see it? Yes. Okay, awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Okay, so in our text, two weeks ago, because we didn't have class last week because of Tisha B'Av, so two weeks ago we spoke about the, um, the idea that there is a divine, a divine kindness known as Erech God's... Um, how, literally means long face, but Erechapai means just grand patience, like God's infinite patience almost, that allows, um, that allows um, blessings to go even to those who are going against God's will. Again, you would think that if someone's doing what God wants, great, they're in the game. If someone says, if someone defies what God wants, that's it, out. Right? I mean, that's, that's easy. God could pull the plug in a second. Not even pull the plug, just cease animating them. Because everything, the natural state of existence is non-existent. So it's not even having to end something, it's just not recreating it. So how hard would it be for God just to, you know, when, when something is going sideways, just to end it? It wouldn't be hard at all. So why, why does it keep on going? So our sages tell us, and this is what we explored a few weeks ago, that God has Erechabayim. So the first ten generations between Adam, Adam, and Noah angered God, but God kept him around. Then from Noah to Abraham, also angered God, but God kept him around because of his Erechapayim, because of his great patience and love. Rav Chesed, we called it. Abounding mercy. And we basically started establishing that there is a realm of reality in which our actions don't affect God as they do within the system. Remember we spoke about that? Like rules in the system, out of the system, like soccer. Right? You can't use your hands. But that's only in soccer. In life, you can use your hands. Right? So in a system, there's one set of rules, but out the system, there's another set of rules. So there is a system outside, or there's a, there's a realm outside the system where things are accessible. So let's jump in here, sustaining even idolaters, on page 132. Hence our sages state in Psachim, Tractate Psachim 118a, Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi said, Why the 26 times Hodu? So let me explain the question. There is, uh, in Psalms 137, there are 26 stanzas. And each stanza says something, says, a, says a, a statement of praise of God. We actually say it, recite it in our prayers every Shabbat. In Chabad in town, we sing it. We sing it, there's 26 stanzas. And the 26 correspond to God's name, 
right? God's name, Yud and He and Vav and He, the numerology of that is 26. But the Talmud gives another answer, the significance of 26. So the Talmud again, Rabbi Shub and Levi said, he asked the question, why does it, why in Psalm 137 are there 26 stanzas of praise of God? And he answers, they correspond to the 26 generations God created in his world without giving them Torah. There were 26 generations before the Torah was given to us at Mount Sinai. And yet, even without the Torah for those 26 generations, he sustained them in his graciousness. What's the implication? The implication is they didn't have Torah. They couldn't do mitzvot. So why did God keep them around? If the whole reason... Now, let me explain the premise of the question. The premise of the question is, if God created the world, it's a very Jewish premise, if God created the world in order for us to study Torah and do mitzvot and make the world a better place, if that's the whole purpose of the world, so how could the world go on for 26 generations before the Torah was given? Now, you could ask another question. Why didn't God give the Torah at the beginning? Why didn't God give the Torah day one to Adam and Eve and say, hey, guys, well, maybe because he saw what they did with the first commandment about the tree. Maybe. But why didn't God, you know, deliver his vision statement for the world at the beginning? That's a good question, which we can't, I don't want to answer, I don't want to get into right now. But here, there's another question. The question is, how does the world exist for 26 generations without Torah? What were people doing? How did they... How did they live? How were they, how were they given life by God without having fulfilled the purpose of creation? And the answer is, the answer is, what Rabbi Shud Ben Levi just said. There were 26 generations that did not exist with Torah, and yet he sustained them in his graciousness. Now in the Hebrew, I'm going to tell you what the Hebrew is. Because English is English. But here's what the Hebrew says. It says that God... Vizan otam bechasto. He, zan means he um, sustained. Hazan eta alam kulo bituvo. Right? Zan means sustained. Zan otam, God sustained them, these 26 generations, bechasto with his chesed. You know what chesed is, right? Chesed is kindness, generosity. Here it's translated as graciousness. So let's continue inside our text. This is one, two, three, four, five lines in in this section called Sustaining Even Idolaters, in the middle of the line, though they were idolaters, right? 26 generations of idolaters. They didn't have the Torah. They didn't have monotheism. Yeah, Abraham had monotheism. But the world you know, at large did not have monotheism. So though they were idolaters, as were the generation of Enosh, for example, nonetheless, I'm adding nonetheless, they were still fed by God's kindness, chesed, by the quality called not just chesed, but rav chesed. No, that's not a name of a rabbi. Hi, my name is Rav Chesed. No, Rav Chesed, Rav means a lot. It also means rabbi, but Rav means a lot. Rav Chesed means an abundance of Chesed, an abundance of kindness of stemming from the dimension of Arech Anpin. Remember we talked about Arech Apayim, God's long face, God's patience. The Kabbalistic formulation of that is, is the dimension called Arech, sorry, sorry, Arech Anpin, Arech Anpin is, okay, you know Keter, the crown? Yeah, so there's like this te the tenths he wrote, but then above that, above Chachma, which is the first point, is Keter, the crown that is above the head. Keter has two dimensions. The deeper dimension is called Atik, Yomin, Atik, in short, and the lower dimension, or the more external dimension, is this one, Arach Anpin. Again, if you want to see this word Arach Anpin, 
it is, I just highlighted in, in the uh, online, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight lines down from sustaining even adulterers. The first two words, arich, anpin, again means long, literally means long face or long faces. It's referring to that which is beyond wisdom, that which is great kindness and abounding benevolence. And let's continue with that sentence. And from that dimension, that is which grants bounty or blessing or sustenance or whatever it is, beneficence, even to those who violate his will. So 26 generations of mankind, of humankind, that were idolaters. Again, there was, after generation 20, that's where Abraham appears. Generation 21 is Abraham. And so, yes, the Jewish story begins with Abraham and then Isaac and Jacob. Fine. But that was a small tiny, tiny piece of the world. The rest of the world were serving idols, or was serving idols. The rest of humanity were serving idols. So, so how, did, how did life exist without Torah? And the answer is, Rav Chesed, Arachampin, right? Arachapayim, whatever phrase you want to use, it's the same thing. God's abounding kindness that transcends the logical. In other words, Based on logic, it doesn't make sense. So, so don't use logic. Let's continue. This is the meaning. This is such a beautiful exposition here. So beautiful. It doesn't work in English. I will tell you. It's not going to work in the English, but I'm going to try to make it work. It doesn't work naturally in the English, but I'm going to try to shoehorn it in. This is the meaning of what Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi said. Without giving them Torah, yet he sustained them in his graciousness. Now, where, where, where is that quote? Well, it's two, three, five lines up is that quote. That piece, we just said five lines ago. Remember, I'm going to read it again. Rabbi Shuban Levi said, Why 26 times Hodu? Corresponding to the 26 generations God created in his world without giving them Torah, yet he sustained them in his graciousness. So that last phrase, there were 26 generations in his world without giving them Torah, Yet he sustained them in his graciousness. So simply that means that these 26 generations didn't have Torah, didn't have monotheism, and yet God in his graciousness sustained them. But now we're going to go deeper. What does this mean? This is the deeper meaning of those words. For according to Torah, they should not have been sustained. What does it mean without Torah, yet they were sustained? It means that based on Torah, which is Chachma, because Torah issues from Chachma, and Chachma is subject to limits. So based on a calculation of Torah... They should not have been sustained. Based on this system, which is based on goodness defined by God, which in this context is monotheistic, etc., Torah mitzvot. So based on this system, they should not have been sustained. Right? For according to Torah, they should not have been sustained because Torah issues from Chachma and Chachma is subject to limits. Defining, Chachma defines when kindness shall be bestowed and when withheld. Remember I said before, I used the example, we're going to say it later today, but Chachma is the, is the rationale, is the logic that turns the wheel. Open, shut, right? Flow, no flow. Chachma is what determines that. Chachma is Torah. Torah is what defines the flow opening or closing. The deserving, those who, let's continue inside, four lines from the bottom. Those des the deserving, those who follow God's edicts, should benefit from his kindness, and others should not. That's the logic of Torah. That's the logic of Chachma. But those 26 generations, sinful as they were, and we know the sins that were going on then, received their benef beneficence. 
not by Torah standards, but out of God's kindness, Rav Chesed. That's a deeper understanding of what Rabbi Shuban Levi says. This is how Kabbalah understands the Talmud, right? You could study the Talmud for, for years and not come to this deeper mystical understanding. Based on the Talmud, I, I'm going to tell you what we thought before and now what we, it's not a different, it's not a, it's not a different meaning, but it's a much deeper meaning. So the simple meaning of the Talmudic statement is, the question is why 26 stanzas of praise be Hashem? Because look, at, look how amazing God is that He sustained the world for 26 generations when they weren't deserving, when they didn't have Torah. And the deeper understanding is that God sustained them because they didn't have Torah. Because based on Torah, they shouldn't have been sustained. But He transcended the wisdom of Torah to give them the blessing from a place that goes beyond that system. Does that make sense? In other words, based on the system of Torah, based on the logical system of Torah, which is divine wisdom, which is, okay, if you do this, then this is going to happen. If you do that, that's going to happen. Based on that system, it doesn't make sense that they would have been sustained like that for 26 generations. But they didn't have Torah. That means they didn't have Torah, but also God didn't operate by Torah's limita limitation or system. And thus, they could be blessed from Rav Chesed, from the source, the transcendent source, you want to call it Ein Sof, or the Makif, whatever it is, it's from that transcendent space. Make sense? Yes? 26 generations. It's just simply that there is energy to use. There is a, there's energy that exists beyond the system. So there is this system of, you know, when you plug in the formula, it's going to output, right, there's an algorithm and it outputs a result. But that's if you plug it into the formula. But what if you don't plug it into the formula? What if you take it from before the formula? Right? Once you put it into the system, it spits out a result. Okay, that's if you have a system. What about pre-system? There's no system. It's accessible to all. That's the idea here. That pre-system, pre-Torah, it was accessible to all. Because the same type of behavior, theoretically, after Torah is given, ends with a different result. But pre-Torah, since there's no Torah, so there's no system yet, so therefore, there's all access. Make sense? Sort of? Did I, I don't know if I answered your question. Did that address I'm, your question? I'm, I'm, yeah, no, it's fine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you answered it. Okay. Yes, Anne. I have a question. Yes. Uh, I'm trying to get my brain around this concept. And going back to the gray market, which I looked up. Oh, nice. <laughs> All right, so Anne, I'm just going to repeat a little bit. Anne is, has been researching gray market. Ah, that's it. Okay, so, so it's, le it's, so, it's so legally but not authorized resellers. So, in other words, you can't get maintenance. So right. So there's no warranty on it. These people lived outside the... The system. The system. Right. And so they didn't have all the blessings of maintenance and warranty that right. we have now. Right. So it's not the maintenance, not the warranty. You don't have that... Okay, so maybe it's not really gray market. Maybe it's more like the black market that I'm, that I'm referring to. Maybe uh, I was being too kind with the gray market. Maybe it's just all the way the thing. But the, 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 the core idea to remember is like this. That when we speak about divine justice, and we speak about why do bad things happen to good people, why do good things happen to bad people, and, and the presupposition of that is that there is an order to the way things should run. Right? There's a logical formula. You do good, good things should happen. You do the opposite, the opposite should happen. That's the presupposition. Somebody says, how could it be? Someone becomes enraged. How could 
Somebody so evil, prosper. What's, where's the question coming from? Why the outrage? A little envy, I think. Well, maybe a little envy also. Like, can I break the rules and get away with it? Yeah. But I think, but there may be a little envy, right? Like, why did I spend all this time doing the right thing? But I, but I think part of it also is that the sense there should be a system. There should be a system that good is good and bad is bad. So what's happening? And the, what, what we're coming to here is saying there is a system, but there's also outside the system. The system only exists in a finite space. There's pre-system and post-system. So yeah, there is a system, but there are other access points that bypass the system. And one can, not advisable, no one's advising this, obviously, but one can theoretically bypass the system and bypass this order of divine justice, so to speak, and thus, again, not focusing on why good people suffer, but why the opposite happens, why bad people can prosper sometimes. And the answer is, within the system, correct, it, does, it doesn't make sense, it's impossible. So who says they're operating within the system? There's a way to get the blessing post-system or pre-system. And we're talking, the chapters before talked about post-system, and now we're talking about and that was the example that we gave. Remember the king who throws a feast and then throws the garbage and the scraps. Anyone is accessible to the scraps. So yeah, post-system, post-feast, it's accessible to all. But there's also the pre-system, the Rav Chesed, the abounding kindness from God that precedes the Torah, which is the system. And that's accessible as well. Okay, I hope that makes sense. Now let's continue. I mean, look, we don't have to... The good news is, this is Discourse 8. There are multiple chapters. How many chapters are there? I see one, two, three. There are three chapters. We just did the first, we finished the first chapter. We have another two chapters, and each chapter of this discourse is going to continue to explain and develop this idea so that it hopefully makes a lot of sense. Okay? In other words, we're not just moving on to the next topic. We're continuing to elaborate on this topic. Let me check in once again. Um, everything makes sense? Yes? Okay, good. Again, jump in with any questions and or comments. Okay, back inside. This is chapter two. Here we go. The bene, the bene, the beneficence, beneficence. Why can't I pronounce that today? The beneficence, I believe. Beneficence granted from Rav Chesed. God's great kindness is a plenteous one. So here... We establish something a little bit further. That not only is there divine energy, is divine energy accessible beyond the system, but when you go beyond the system to the source, you get a lot. It's a big haul from the, from the source. It's plenteous. In the language of Kabbalah, in the Hebrew, it's hashba beriboy. See, Rav Chesed means great kindness. When you access great kindness, you can get great light. You can get access to great blessings. Hence, and here we go, directly chapter 2. This is like what we're talking about. Hence, some enjoy wealth and honor far out of proportion to their merit. That's exactly what we're talking about with theodicy, the big question of why is it that people are successful when they're so bad, when they're so evil? How does it make sense? How is it fair? That's the question. And the, one of the answers, not the answer, one of the answers is, not the only answer, 
is that there's a way to access the energy from a realm of Rav Chesed, which precedes the system, which from, from which there are abundant blessings to be had. Hence, some enjoy wealth and honor far out far in proportion to their, to their merit, as is written by King Solomon in Kohelet and Ecclesiastes, for there are no works reckoning knowledge or wisdom in Sha'ol. That's the verse. Let me explain that verse. It says there are no works reckoning knowledge or wisdom in Sha'ol. You know what Sha'ol is? Who knows what Sha'ol is? Is that where, like, the, after you die, or the realm of the dead? Yeah, that's like the pit of doom. Whatever, whatever that actually means, is it physical, spiritual, both? I don't know. But it's, Sha'ol is a, is a reference to, like, Get, get, exactly, like Gehenna, like the, the place where, where punishment is, huh? Azazel. Azazel, exactly. It's the negative place. Yeah, right. So Gehenna is specifically understood as purgatory, which is the idea of purging and cleansing and kind of, you know, it's, a, it's more of a tikkun than a punishment. It's more of a, 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 a repair than a, um, than a, um, than a, than a punishment. But what he's saying here is in Sha'ol, which is where the negativity at least first gets worked out, there are no works reckoning knowledge or wisdom. And I think what it means here euphemistically is not Sha'ol afterlife, but the Sha'ol of this life. In other words, the netherworld of this world where, um, you know, where the, 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 the negative hangs out, where, where evil it proliferates. There are no works reckoning knowledge or wisdom. That means that sometimes it seems like there's success beyond logical, rational um, uh, proportion. It doesn't make sense that those operating in Sha'ol, those operating in such a nefarious space, should be blessed with such success. But as King Solomon writes, there are no works reckoning knowledge or wisdom in Sha'ol. When you're operating on that dimension, it doesn't necessarily follow a a set, a, a, an orderly fashion, i.e., let me just finish the sentence, they receive, receive what? Receive divine blessings, etc., without any apparent reckoning. It's not, you would think, someone's living a life of Sha'ol, living a life, you know, in that negative space, that they would be cut off from divine blessing. So how come they're successful? Why sometimes wildly successful? They're receiving without any apparent reckoning because... They're accessing Rav Chesed, God's great kindness, which is plenteous, which is beyond the system of reckoning. Let's continue. Let's continue with an understanding of reckoning. Because that was the last word of that first paragraph they received without any apparent reckoning. In the Hebrew, it's Cheshbon. Cheshbon means a reckoning. So, for example, if you were um, buying and selling, right, um, using Hebrew, like as a language, so you would say at the end of, you know, like buying and selling and merchandise here, there, and you were dealing with somebody, you say, okay, let's make a cheshben. Let's make a, a calculation, an accounting of, okay, who owes who what? What's the final number? Like, what's the cheshbon? What's the, what's the reckoning? Not in a doomsday way, but in like, what's the, what's the account? What's the accounting? That's cheshbon. But it's, there's a spiritual understanding of it as well, which we're going to get into right now. Let's continue next paragraph. Ma'orear, Ma'orear states... Reckoning, cheshbon, is called chachma, for it is included in the term for thought. So look at it. Cheshbon is called chachma. Chachma 
is called Cheshbon, because Cheshbon is like the word Machshava, which is thought, and it's all about logic, right? We use our Chachma, our wisdom, and our thought to make a reckoning and to make a calculation, right? This means to say, look, that this costs this, and that costs that, and this should go here, and that should go there, and this shouldn't go there. That's a, that's a Cheshbon, that's a reckoning, that's an accounting, and that uses Chachma, and that includes, it's including the word thought. It's, it's all part of using the rational mind to determine what the fate should be of any given transaction or situation, right? Does it cost me? Does it cost you? Should it happen? Should it not happen? Is it a good deal? Is it not a good deal? All of that is mindful work, work that uses the mind and, and our wisdom. Let's continue. The Talmud in Bava Batra interprets the verse, therefore, oh, this is fantastic. Okay, again, it's, it's, it's a little awkward in the English. It works much better in the Hebrew. But, all right, we're in the, we're in the English. Um, the Talmud interprets the verse, and here's a verse from the book of Numbers. Therefore, those who use parables say, come to Cheshbon. Now, that may sound like it doesn't mean, like, what does that even mean? Okay, there's what it means simply, and then there's what it means mystically. Today, we're going to explore what it means mystically. Or, at least what the Talmud says and then we're going to go mystical on it. So, again, therefore, those who use parables say, come to Cheshbon. It sounds like a, um, from the tourist uh, division of Cheshbon. Hey, guys, come to Cheshbon, where all your dreams will come true. But it says, therefore, those who use parables say, come to Cheshbon. As, so what does the Talmud say? This means, come, let us make a Cheshbon. Cheshbon means reckoning. Come, let us make a, the reckoning of the world the loss of a mitzvah against its gain, the profit of a sin against its loss. And again, let me explain what this means. The Talmud says, when we're faced with a choice, we should always make a cheshbon, which means an accounting or a reckoning. Think about it logically. One second. This mitzvah, I could either do a mitzvah, a good deed, or a, an avera, a sin, a negative deed. So I have a choice now. And I say, okay, so what are the pros and cons? Okay, so doing a mitzvah, the con is, what's the negative? Well, it's going to cost this, it's going to cost me time, it's going to, uh, whatever, all the negatives. What are the positives? Oh, it's this positive, that positive, the other positive. It's a mitzvah, Hashem wants it, it benefits the world, benefits the other. Okay, like, give you a simple example. So somebody says, hey, um, I'm moving next week. Can you help me pack? Can you help me move? And you say, well, uh, let me think about it. And now you're thinking about it. Now you're struggling. Okay, so what do I want to do? I want to help them move or do I want to just, you know, do my own thing? So pros and cons. It's going to take my time. It's going to take my effort. And I have to schlep. And I don't like schlepping. and like packing and whatever. But the good, the good thing is that the pro is it's a good deed. It helps my friend. Da, 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 it's the right thing. I would want something to happen to me. So pros and cons. So the Talmud says that one should always make a reckoning. Oh, one should always make a reckoning. The loss of a mitzvah against its gain. What's it going to cost you? But what do you gain when you do it? In other words, what's the downside, downside of the mitzvah? And what's the upside? And hopefully after making that calculation, we figure out, we determine that what? That we should do it, right? Because even though it, it costs us something, but the upside hopefully is, is greater. And we should always calculate, conversely, the profit of a sin against its loss. And what does that mean? That when, we, when we're facing the opportunity to do something wrong, which seems very enticing, so we say, well, that's got a lot of pros, but it also, we should also be thinking, okay, what are the cons? What are the, what's the deficit? What is the loss of doing this sin? And hopefully, therefore, not do it. So this is all, does this make sense? The Talmud says, basically, think big picture. Somebody says, yeah, I have an opportunity to do a mitzvah, oh, but I, I, I can't do it. It's too, 
One second, think of the benefit, and then hopefully you'll do it. Conversely, when it comes to a sin, oh, I really want to do this. This is going to be so exciting. It's going to be so good. All right, think about the loss. Think about the downside. And then hopefully, when we balance, when we, when we make this full accounting, hopefully we'll end up making the right choice. So when we think about the loss of the sin and the benefit of the mitzvah, hopefully we'll do the right thing. This reckoning, let's continue inside. So this is like a personal message. The Talmud says, come to Cheshwa means we should always come to a ca- an inner calculation when we face the world, when we face challenges, when we face, I don't mean challenges, I mean when we face crossroads decisions, right? What should I do? Should I do this or that? Right, door number one or door number two? What should we do? What should I do? Big picture, think big picture. Don't just think of the moment, right? Is this going to be annoying or is it going to be really good? It might be annoying short-term, but maybe it's long-term the right thing. Whereas short-term it feels good, but long-term it's devastating. So think, make a proper calculation, and then that will keep us away from doing the wrong thing and will drive us to the right thing. Let's continue. That's what the Talmud says. <coughs> Let's continue inside. This reckoning, he says, this cheshbon, is... Of the order of Chachma. I don't know what it means, of the order of. It sounds very, I don't know, very mystical. This reckoning comes from Chachma. Very simply, it comes from Chachma. <coughs> from which Torah derives. The plane where standards and measures are relevant. So we, how, how do we come to a place of, of, of Cheshbon? A place of reckoning? By using our Chachma, by using our wisdom. Our wisdom tells us, okay, this is good, this is not good, this is... These are the pros, these are the cons, these are the cons, these are the pros. That's what our Chachma helps us decide, figure out. And that's where Torah comes from. Torah is also logical. Torah is, this is the right thing, this is the wrong thing, this is good for you, this is not good for you. <coughs> that is where standards and measures are relevant. From the back inside, third line in this last paragraph. From this plane, we have the measure and definition of all beneficences, spiritual material. Weighing and measuring is a coalescing of opposites, of chesed and gavura, generosity and restriction. So, chachma, cheshbon, comes from chachma, cheshbon is, is reckoning, which comes from chachma, wisdom, which is where Torah comes from. And Torah is also about the algorithm, measuring and defining what's good, what's not good, what we should do, what we shouldn't do, spiritually, physically, etc., Weighing and measuring back inside. Weighing and measuring is a coalescing of opposites of chesed and gvura, right? Pros and cons. Chesed, should I do it? Gvura, should I not do it? Chesed, is it good? Gvura, is it not good? Generosity, giving, restriction, holding back. Chachma determines. So again, Chachma is the turner of the wheel. Chachma is right chesed, left gvura. Chachma is in charge. Chachma determines the manner of this coalescence, which of the two trades shall dominate? And from this comes the measuring of manifestation of the appropriate trade. And now he gets into another role of Chachma. Chachma is not just in, within ourselves when we determine what we're going to do or not do, pros and cons of our actions, but divine Chachma determines whether blessing will flow or the opposite, and this is what I told you before, and that this is where I got it from, from this 
from this little, from these few lines in this tra- in this paragraph right here, that it's divine chachma that determines very directly. Divine chachma determines whether or not the blessings will flow, or the blessings, God forbid, will be withheld. You don't see that maybe so clearly in the English, but in the Hebrew, it's absolutely, it's absolutely um, clear. <laughs> And you see it in the English when it talks about Chachma determines the manner of coalescence, which of the two traits shall dominate. In the, in, the, in the Hebrew, it's a little bit more pronounced. It's whether Chesed is going to rule the day and blessings will flow, or Gevura will rule the day and the blessings will be withheld. And he gives an example. For example, in granting the three, there are three general blessings. Children, life, and prosperity. Let me explain that. Children means like family, nachas, that's, that, that, that's one blessing. Life means literal health and well-being. And prosperity means um, uh, money, uh, um, a livelihood. So those are the three. Bane, chayu, mazoni. Children, family blessings, life, health blessings, and prosperity means prosperity, money, money blessings, financial blessings. So those are the three general blessings that everyone needs in life. So Chachma determines, when it comes to these three blessings, these three core blessings, Chachma determines what shall be the amount granted and the manner. Again, Chachma is the turner of this divine wheel that determines how much blessing is going to flow and how is it going to flow. In other words, not just, it's not just quantity, but it's also the quality of the blessing. There's also a determination of which of the three or all three will get the blessing. There's once a story. The Baal Shem Tov came to a couple. Stayed over at a couple's house. And um, they were very wealthy. And they were very healthy. And they treated him with respect and honor and, 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 and just treated him with such you know, hospitality. Before he left, he asked them if there's anything that he could bless them with. And they said, yes, we don't have children. We want a blessing for a child. So he said to them, I could bless you with a child, but you're only destined from above to have two out of the three blessings. So which one do you want to give up? In other words, there's three categories of blessings. Children, health, and livelihood. You have health and livelihood, but no children. You want children? Okay. So we can redirect but which one are you willing to give up? And they said prosperity, livelihood. And that's what happened. Who is like the Baal Shem to be, able, to be able to see things and to somehow hack and turn the wheel in a different way? But the reason why I'm bringing this story is to, to bring out this point. That there is a divine calculation that determines who gets what and how they get what they get. Right? There are three categories of blessings. Children, health, and livelihood. Halavai, we have all three. Like if only we have all three in full measure without any, without any challenges. You can start with all three, but after college, you only have two. <laughs> you only have two. <laughs> which two? We don't, which two? Okay, you're saying financially. Okay, yes. okay. <laughs> Hopefully it doesn't uh, give That's us too many gray hairs also and, and uh, anxiety. Listen. Life, 
look, we all know the blessings that we have in life, the blessings that we need in life. Everyone, everyone has a different, uh, right? I think we can all relate to this. Right? We all have the blessings that we have, the blessings that we want, the blessings that we need. And uh, what we're saying here Kabbalistically is that everything is determined by divine Chachma. Just like our Chachma determines pros and cons, what actions we're going to take, what we're not going to take what actions we won't take, like what we're doing, what we're not doing. The same thing is true on a divine level when it comes to the beneficence that we, that we enjoy. So the divine chachma determines how, which blessing is going to flow, how much blessing is going to flow and to which area it's going to flow. Whether it's going to be in the area of children or health or livelihood or all three or a combination, etc. All right, back inside. Um, for example, wow, there's like two for examples in a row here. Two sentences that begin for example. I wonder what it's like in the Hebrew. I'm sure it is not like that, but okay. So for example, we're now one, two, three, four, five, six lines from the bottom. For example, man's sustenance is determined on Rosh Hashanah. It says in the Talmud that every Rosh Hashanah, our sustenance, our blessings are determined. And the Talmud also says that man is judged every day or every hour, which means that there's an, an annual judgment, but a daily or even hourly judgment. Let's continue. The judgment is based, judgment would be a din, but also a cheshben, a, a calculation, a reckoning. The judgment is based on the works and service of the individual. In other words, it's based on our performance, so to speak. And he is granted according... It's using he consistently, but it's he or she. Obviously not gender specific. He is granted according to the scales of chesed and gvura. In other words, the chachma determines whether it should go right or left. Chesed or gvura. Whether kindness shall dominate or dot, dot, dot. God forbid. He doesn't even want to spell it out. In the Hebrew, he says v'chulu, etc. Which is basically dot, dot, dot. So the, 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 the divine judgment, the divine chachma is determining whether this person is going to get chesed or gvura, which means whether kindness will dominate, the blessings will flow, or gvura is withholding, or God forbid, the opposite. Let's continue. 136 at the top. This is, as is written in Job, of course Job is the famous Righteous man who suffered, this is written in Job. He, by causes, alters by his discernments according to their works. That's a complicated sentence right there. But it says, essentially, I'm going to read it again. He, which refers to God, by causes, alters by his discernments according to their works. Rashi explains this with a passage in Talmud. If Israel were righteous on Rosh Hashanah, and their verdict was for plenteous, plenteous rainfall. And then they changed. Listen to this. So on Rosh Hashanah, let's say the Jewish community was righteous and virtuous. And they got a lot of rain in the, in the forecast for this year. But then they changed, dot, dot, dot. In other words, the behavior changed. So then what happens? The Talmud says, the rains fall at the wrong time in a place that does not need rain. And if Israel were unfit for a good verdict on Rosh Hashanah, and little rain was determined for them, and then they changed for the positive, the rains fall when and where they are needed. In other words, 
There is a cheshben. And then another cheshben. And another cheshben. There are multiple checkpoints of calculations. So there's an annual checkpoint of calculation. And then there is a daily and hourly checkpoint of calculation. So the Talmud says, really incredibly, that on Rosh Hashanah we know that we pray for a good year and we pray for the blessings of the year. But do we think that it's one and done? No, it's not just done. Because even if that year we, we elicited, we evoked from on high a promise of abundant rainfall, there's still another cheshben, there's still another calculation, a reckoning of when it should fall, where it should fall, and how it should fall. You know, if you have X number of raindrops that are going to fall in the year, if they fall within one hour, or they fall over the course of, okay, forget a year. Let's, I don't know how to say this. Let's say X number of rain is, is allocated. So imagine taking a piece of that and saying, okay, it's going to come down in one hour. That's what it looked like in Germany last week, right? Or two weeks ago, or three weeks ago. Yes, with the floods? I thought Maybe also. It was also. Right? Right? And yeah, there's flood. Listen, and, and I'm not, by the way, I'm not, let, let, let me clarify. I'm not therefore pointing out any, I'm not pointing out anything. I'm just saying, I'm just giving a physical example. When you have, a, when you have rain, a certain amount of rain that falls in a very short amount of time, it can be devastating to life, right? And property. When that same amount of rain is spread out over the course of weeks or months, it could be healthy. It's healthy. So it's the same amount of rain, but there's another cheshben, another calculation of how, where, and when it's going to fall. And that's what the Talmud is saying, is that, again, going back to the verse from Job at the top of the page, he, God, by causes, alters by his discernments according to their works. That means that God can alter based on his judgment according to our works. There means ours. According to our deeds, God can alter the judgment and modify it accordingly. Not that, not that it changes. It's the same amount of rain, but it's just falling maybe where it shouldn't or where we don't need it. Or in a way that could, God forbid, be the opposite of a blessing. Now, let's, that's what Rashi says. Rashi explains it that way. Let's see what the Zohar says. Kabbalah. Right in the middle of the page. Zohar comments on this verse from Job as follows. God calls forth the generations and creates them to endure. For example, the generation of the flood. Right? God calls the generations and creates them to last. They thought that they would endure eternally. Right? The generation of the flood, they thought they would live forever and they corrupted their ways. God destroyed them, transforming existence to, to disappearance. His discernment is spelled in the singular, not, not plural. This is the potter's wheel, and this is what I got the Wheel of Fortune from before, right here from the Zohar, from Kabbalah. This is the potter's wheel. You know what a potter's wheel is? When you make pottery? Yeah, and you need to spin it around? I've never made pottery, but I've seen video. I've seen this, I've seen, right? Where are you, how do, how do you make it spin? Do you turn it? Is it, is it a leg, is it a foot pump? There's a foot pump? Okay, can you reverse direction or no? Or it only goes one way? Okay, I'm not sure. Depends on how sophisticated a machine is. Okay, I'm not sure how, how okay. But basically, this, this analogy in Kabbalah is that it could turn two different ways. Is the potter's wheel going to turn, I guess this is before Wheel of Fortune. They didn't know. Um, could it, does it, will it turn to the right or to the left? This is the potter's wheel that spins before and back inside, right in the middle of that indented paragraph. When people's deeds are good, the spinning potter's wheel, or the wheel of fortune in my 
language turns to the right, which is chesed, and good effects are felt in this world to man's favor. When people come to debase, dot, 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 in other words, when we do, when we destroy the world, the wheel swings to the left. And that's the opposite of the blessing. He alters by these causes. God alters by these causes. That means that God shifts the wheel right or left based on the cause that we evoke, based on our efforts. And evil effects and evil effects that harm men are felt in this world until men return to correct their deeds. So he's talking about the negative, right? So when people come to the base, the wheel swings to the left, he alters these causes and evil effects that and evil effects that harm men are felt in this world. So when we do the negative, then the negative is felt until we return to Hashem to correct our deeds, and then it swings back to the right. Okay, let's just do another quick paragraph, and let's conclude chapter two, and then we'll tie it, hopefully tie it all together and walk out with some, hopefully, some inspiration. The wheel, what is this wheel? What is the wheel of fortune? Or in the language of Kabbalah, if we're being genuine and authentic, it's called the potter's wheel. What is the spinning potter's wheel? Or where is it mystically? What, and which level is it at? The wheel is Malchut of Atzilut. It's the lowest sphera, the lowest energy of the world of Atzilut. The source of the beneficence flowing into Biyah, into the lower worlds of Bria, Yitzira, and Asiya. It spins according to the deeds of men, of human beings. When men are good, the wheel spins to the right, meaning that Malchut receives from the right line of Atzilut, which consists of Chachma, Chesed, and Netzach. You know what? I think next time, well, I'm going to read it now, but I think for the opening of our next session, I'm going to break out my most favorite handout, which is the Kabbalah, the Kabbalah chart, right, this chart of Svirot, and we'll look at what's on the right side. There's three energies on the right, and then three energies on the left, and the point is, and then there's Malchut is in the center at the bottom, and it's kind of like the, the way we behave turns Malchut to either draw from the right side and spit that out, or to draw from the left side and spit that out to us. Does that make sense? Our actions really, in fact, are in charge of turning the wheel, either to channel the right flow, which is chachma, chesed, and netzach, which is the good stuff, which kindness flows from, or the opposite, where the opposite happens. Or is it like a, trying to get that balance? Because you've talked a lot about the balance. So this is, this is an exception to the balance okay. conversation. See, usually... And the difference is like this. When we're talking about internally, we talk about gvur is good. Right. It's not evil. We need to have discipline. We need to have restraint. We need to, yeah, we need to have boundaries and relationships and with our kids to let them, you know, grow up and whatever and that sort of thing. And, you know, pay for college themselves. No, I'm kidding. Right? So that's sort of, just joking. Um, so like that sort of thing, like gvur is healthy. Chesed is healthy. We have to have a right balance. But what we're talking about is really on a cosmic level, and maybe it's not the full story, but it's the story for today, okay. or for this conversation, which is that chesed is the good stuff, and the gvura is when God withholds and withdraws, which, which, which ends up with us not getting the blessing in those areas, which is not good. <coughs> Again, with us, also gvura can manifest in a negative way within us, but usually we, try to, we talk about balance, and you know, everything is there for a purpose, but when it comes to this conversation, there's definitely one side is good, the other side vis-a-vis -vis this conversation is not good. 
So, but I personally think of, I, I picture like a video game, Asteroid. Was there a video game called Asteroid? Where you're like this little thing at the bottom and you're like shooting yeah. and you turn, right? So I, I picture like Malchut, like from Malchut facing down. Like Malchut's attached to the upper world of Atzilut and it's facing down and it, not shooting. Well, yeah, it's kind of like delivering. So is it delivering from the right or from the left? And I know my right, your right, whatever. It doesn't really matter, right? But it's like, I mean, it does, but not in this specific physical thing. Like, is it pointing to the right, channeling from the right, or is it pulling from the left? And that's, and that's determined. And, and who, who controls Malchut's swivel? Us, our actions. Our actions determine the swivel, the wheel, and that's what channels either right or left. So let's do this again. Let's start again from this bottom paragraph, and we'll just close it out. Quickly, the wheel is Malchut of Atzilut, the source of the beneficence flowing into Biyah. That's the lower three worlds. We're in the Ah of Biyah, which is Asiya. It spins according to the deeds of men. When men are good, the wheel spins to the right, meaning that Malchut receives from the right line of Atzilut, which are namely the three energies of Chachma, Chesed, and Netzach. Then kindness, 138, dominates. Good and kindness are listed into this world. If, God forbid, there is no awakening from below, and there are none who do good, that's a pretty bold statement. None who do good, okay? Then by their deeds, men, in other words, only negatives happening. Then by their deeds, men cause Malchut to receive from the left line. It switches to the left. And that's the negative stuff. Everything depends on the actions of mortals. And this, thus we conclude that we are much more powerful than we give ourselves credit for. Our actions below absolutely directly affect the, um, the actions above. And everything is determined by Chachma in a calculated way based on our actions. It's, it's not even like, I don't know that it's as much Chachma as it is, I'm going to use the word again, algorithm. It's an algorithm, right? You put, you, you, you put this into the, into the pipeline and it's going to spit out this, that, that as a result. If, this, if X goes in, Y goes out. I'm now stuck with more letters. I don't know. Do I come up with more letters? If you put A in, B comes out. If you put C in, D comes out. That's the way it is. That's the algorithm. So based on our actions, when they reach above, it causes, it just, it, it is, it, it, it's a certain input that we do that causes a certain output from above, either chesed or the opposite, either the blessings or the opposite. And even if we elicit the, the blessings, but there's further there's further calculations along the line until it gets to us. And at any point, once again, our actions could switch the left. And then what happens is even the rain, let's say that was the example that he gave, even the rain, which is a blessing, could come in a left side fashion, which is the wrong amount at the wrong time at the wrong, in the wrong place. Versus even if the blessing was withheld more or less, if we switch it to the right side, even the little bit of rain could fall exactly where it's needed at exactly the right time and sustain the world that, in exactly the way that it's needed. So what's the point? The point is that there is this grand calculation, this is grand divine algorithm that determines what happens on, in this, the blessings that, that, that reach us and reach the world. And it's based on ultimately our actions below, our actions. It's kind of like the water table, the water system, where the water evaporates and that creates the clouds and then it precipitates from there. So it's our actions rise above and that's what comes back down to us in a commensurate way. Okay, all of that is in the system. But really where we're going with this is 
that there's a way to bypass the system. But first, before we get to bypassing the system, we have to develop the system. This is developing the system. So what's the moral of the story? Let's do good things, and let's get the blessings. I think that's kind of the moral of the story, right? Let's do good, and, um, and let's enjoy the fruits of our labor. Can't go wrong with that. Um, when we face a decision in our lives, let's make the right cheshbon, let's make the right calculation. We can calculate the schar mitzvah neges, um, hefsed mitzvah neged schara, the schar avera neged, neged hefsedah. We can calculate the, the, um, the deficit of a mitzvah vis-a-vis -vis its reward. In other words, what it's gonna, the loss of a mitzvah vis-a-vis -vis its reward and the reward of a sin vis-a-vis -vis its gain, vis-a-vis um, -vis its loss. And hopefully we make the right decision. Even though it's not easy to do the right thing, it's the right thing. And even though it's easy to do the wrong thing, it's the wrong thing. And I'll end with this story very quickly. There was once a father, I've told this many times, but it's a great story. There was once a father who took a son in Russia to the mikvah. You know what the mikvah was? You know what mikvah is? It's a ritual bath. But in, in Russia, they didn't have these beautiful spa-like mikvahs like they have here in the, the United States and around the world where it's like a, like a day spa almost and it's gorgeous. No. They went to the lake and they broke the ice and they went in. And, uh, yeah, so this father took his son. It's a Hasidic custom. The men go every morning to mikvah. So he took his son to the mikvah. His son, this was his first, son's first time in the mikvah. He was initiating him into the, to this thing. He breaks the ice. And he puts his son into the water, takes him out quickly, and wraps him in a blanket. The son, the kid goes in. He screams, ah, it's freezing. Ah, he screams. And then he wraps him in the towel. And the boy says, ah. The father later tells him, or the father maybe at that point tells him, this is a message in life. That the good things in life are usually, in the moment, painful or difficult to do. Usually like an ah, but then it's an ooh. But beware of those things that are first ooh and then ah. That, those are not the good things. Right? The things that feel good initially, the ah, that feels good. It's usually ooh, what was I thinking? What did I do later on? Whereas the things that are, the ooh and the ah, which comes first? The ooh is the ah is the good, the ooh is the bad. So when it's ooh first, then the ah will follow. Hopefully. When the, when the ah is first, then the ooh will follow. Anyway, let's think long term, not short term, and let's do the right thing. All right, let's open up questions, comments. I, I have a, um, a question. Yes. First, thank you very much for the beautiful class. It's Pleasure. A, a blessing. Um, Always I, I, I ask to me, like, what happened before the Torah, that, how the people connect right. and, and all that. And my question is, chesed, like, means like, like love, passion, and all that, yeah? Yes. Uh, yeah, that, that looks like if we live and we connect with that, we can, we can go, like, direct to the, to the big energy. And that's the reason that when we, we pray and we meditate and we connect with that energy, a lot of miracles happen. Do you think that? Yeah, for sure. For sure. And what we're saying is before Torah was given, you could only access that space. There was nothing else to access. Mm -hmm. There was no system to access. So everyone was getting from that, that infinite source but because everyone's getting from the infinite source, it wasn't based on goodness and righteousness and, you know, we're doing the right things. But nowadays, we can access that space 
hopefully through the right channels and not the negative channels. But yes, before the Torah was given, so how did they access it? They could access it. It, it was open access. That's basically the idea. It was open access. But yes, today we can access we can access through the right way. I mean, it's also, as we'll see, it's also possible to access it in a negative way, but we don't need to focus on that. We should focus practically yeah. on, on accessing it the right way. No, but it's beautiful to understand that it's, it's two ways. Yes. And one way is yes. so strong too. Yeah. Yeah, the Thank force, there much. is a force beautiful of negativity which is, uh, which is possible. And the ultimate, the ultimate purpose of this conversation in this text, I mean, it's, it's a very, very well-developed idea, which is why it takes a bunch of weeks to go through it. But the, really, the end of this is to say that even though theoretically there's an option to access the great light in a negative way, that's not what we're supposed to do. Right? That's ultimately the end of it, is that even though it is possible and, some, and people do it, but that's not, that's not what, what, where we should be at. And we're going to develop a meditation that we should think about. Yes, I could be successful this way. Yes, if I, if I cheat or if I you know, cut corners, if I don't do that, I, could, I might make money on this deal, but it's not right. It's not right. I might make a profit. It's not like Hashem will make sure that it doesn't work out. I might actually be successful in this deal, but it's not the right thing. And because it's not the right thing, I'm accessing the light in the wrong way, and, and I'm not going to do that. That's where we want to get to a place where we're strong enough in our, in our minds to stand up to the temptation of success using the other dark ways of getting success. Yeah, no, it's beautiful to understand that, that, that it's, it's both. Right. And it's, we can see that it's both, yeah. Right, and, be, and that's what makes it challenging to do the right thing. But what's, that's all that makes it meaningful. If it was too easy, if it was like, yeah, every time someone does something wrong, boom, <laughs> it doesn't work out. And if you do it the right way, it's, it's wildly successful, then it wouldn't be a, life wouldn't be a challenge. So it has to be open both ways. The point is to understand how it works and then to reject it, to say, it could work like that, but I'm not going to do it that way. I'm going to go about it the right way. Sure, I could print off the, um, the certificate that says I'm a doctor, but I'm going to go to medical school instead and, uh, and, and actually get, get, get qualified yeah. to do it, but which is going to take more work. To understand that we can be like a doctor with, with a lot of hesed. Right. It's so important because we, I can bring that light to my, my things here that I have to do, of course, because we, we are in this world. Right. But it's, it's so beautiful to understand and, and to see that, that, that is, 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 we can... Uh, Learn what, what is uh, in, in the Kabbalah. It's yeah. beautiful. And so the meditation of this week is, therefore, that we should focus on accessing the divine chesed through the good, through a positive way, through our own chesed, through our own kindness and love for others, and access the divine chesed in a beautiful way and not, and not any other way. That's the idea. All right. Any other questions, comments? Joy, it's great to see. First of all, Joy, I want to say I love the background. I love it. It's, uh, it's, it feels like exotic. Yeah. I'm, I'm, behind, I'm in front of a pole, as you can see. They call that a NASCAR, the pole position. I'm just saying. NASCAR is pole position? Yeah. All right. Hey, it's the South. We got to be a fan of NASCAR, right? Um, questions, comments? 
Yes, Matt. I'll repeat the question. So regarding, I guess, the thing that, so, that I always kind of don't like about the example is seems too consequentialist in that I think one of the things you were trying to answer is how, why do bad things happen to good people? Or that, that's, that was part of the question. But that's one AF. The, why do bad things happen to good people is one half of the question. Although he doesn't, he hasn't really gone down that path. It's more of the other way. Why do good things happen to bad people? Let's say, like, spiritually, you have the right to take it on. Well, tragedy can still happen to you. And it's not just because you didn't have that spigot turned on wide or, like, turned right, right. far enough. It wasn't the, yeah. I wonder that maybe the authors go deeper into that. But I like, first saw that, I'm like, well, well, sometimes you have to speak it on, but, like, Right. Yeah. So no, Matt's Matt's asking about the big question, which is I think even more troubling than why do the wicked prosper? Because uh, you know that's uh, someone else prospers. It doesn't uh, does it really affect me? But why do bad things happen to good people? That's that 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 cuts usually a little bit deeper as a as a as a question. Um, he doesn't. I don't know that we're really going to get into that side of of the theodicy question. I think it's only on, on that side. Now, could we apply some of these ideas to that? Maybe, and may, maybe we will we'll get into it, because I, I can't say that I, I mean, I've said this many times before, I can't say that I... That would be cool, a, 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 an exploration of the book of Job, yeah. I don't know that I've ever taught it, like, in depth. We've, we've like, picked and shoot, we've, we've selected some spaces, but never really in a methodical way. Yeah. Um, Sometimes we think of blessings as an external, external gifts that we get. But I think when, when you're talking about living within that system, and when it's visceral, the, the 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 kind of beautiful, clean energy you get from like really examining and trying to do the right thing, and it's an internal sort of. Blessing. You're saying that there's a, feed, a natural feedback when you do the right thing and a good energy flows from it. Yeah, it's like a very clear, yeah. clean thing. So you are, the blessing might be more internal than getting something from the outside. So Susan's point is that, you know, not always when we do the right thing, is there like a light that beams on us, shines us from outside, but it's, there's an internal sense of, I did the right thing, yeah, and an internal positivity. Like right, you feel like you're in that good space. Yes. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. It's powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes you like you know, you might not get the blessings in the way that I guess it's just that you want them. Yeah. And it could be that maybe you just have right. a really great mind and you can understand Torah, or that you are you know you're just you know what I mean. You're just kind of spiritually connected in that way, and maybe your abundance is coming in a spiritual way, and it's not coming right. in the right. Adam is saying that the flow sometimes comes in ways that we may not understand why exactly it's coming and manifest in one way or another and maybe based on our predispositions or based on some other turn the wheel that we may or may not be directly in control of that it the, the blessings are more of an enlightenment spiritual enlightenment and maybe they don't hit the wallet but maybe right. there's spiritual blessings and gifts right. maybe there's and like I, I i go back to the three categories of blessings you know joy and love and peace and tranquility in one's life and happiness and maybe there's only one cow going back to the original story. Maybe there's just one cow and not that much money, and, but you know, love and fresh air. That's also, that's also a blessing, yeah. right? Or a spiritual enlightenment and awareness with, uh, without much physical blessings. Look, ideally, 
we get we get the trifecta. We get all three. We get the family blessings, and we get health blessings, and we get financial blessings. Or maybe you're just not acknowledging the blessings that you get. Or maybe right, as Adam's saying, maybe maybe you get the blessings, you get but you're. Having a certain thing, and you're not thinking that you're getting your blessings because you know you're not living the life of somebody who doesn't even have a toilet in their home, who doesn't right. have running water, right. who doesn't have access to you know reliable yeah. electricity. They're saying we don't like, appreciate the blessings that we have because yeah. we're looking elsewhere. We're, look, yeah, we're looking on Instagram yeah. as opposed to looking right. you know right. within. The blessings yeah. like fish don't recognize the water that they're in. They're right. Just, they're, That's a good analogy. That's yeah. Adam said. Fish don't recognize the water that they're in. They take it for granted, or they, it's just. Like the basic, yeah, they're like, hey, what else is out there? It's like, no, <laughs> go back in. You're blessed right where you are. All right, let's close that out officially on, 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 on the class. I'll let you guys go. Everyone have a wonderful day. Have a wonderful week. As a reminder, tonight is our film screening of Fiddler, Miracle of Miracles. So for those of you in town, we'd love to have you. I wrote on the website, and I realized in retrospect, probably a very awkward language. I wrote shtetl-style food, and probably people are thinking, I want potatoes. Who wants potatoes? I should have written like, like classic Jewish foods or something, because I'll tell you what we have. Hot pastrami sandwiches. Um, we have um, knishes, potato knishes. We have chopped liver. We have rugelach. We have, of course, popcorn for the movie. And we have Dr. Brown's soda which is classic Jewish, like at least Americana, 19, whatever. Yes, pleasure, pleasure. All right, so hopefully see you guys tonight. And then this week we have classes. Check your local listings for the schedule. All right, everybody, we'll see you guys. Take care. Shavuot Tov. Shavuot Tov. That was a great class. Thank great you. Class. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Appreciate it.